Welcome to the Crushing Comics Podcast. This episode was originally recorded on the 23rd of September and debuted on YouTube. In this episode, we cover the first week of the X of Swords crossover, which included the single issue X of Swords Creation. Spoiler warning, we discuss everything about X-Men up to and including comics from the 23rd of September, as well as other current events in the Marvel Universe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Crushing Comics. I'm your host, Peter, known throughout the internet as Crisis with a K. And I'm here with two of my favorite comic fans in the world, even though they're nowhere near me in the world, to talk about this week's introduction to the brand new X-Men event, X of Swords. So on one side here, I have Tyler. Tyler, welcome. Hi. How are you? I am I'm actually excited about an X-Men event, which is always a nice place to start. Uh, and mm-hmm. also down below, we have one of our channel's favorite guests, Faria. How are you, Peter, today? I am, you know, I, I sometimes can be a little cynical about X-Men stuff, and I'm cynical about parts of this, but I'm also excited I never about it, too. I never noticed you being cynical about X-Men stuff. Oh, that's, this is new. This is never. new information. Yeah. So full on warner for warning for you all. Um, this is full spoilers territory. We're assuming you've either read X of Swords 1 or X of Swords Creation 1, or you want to read it, or you don't want to read it, and you just want to hear us talk about whatever the case, we're going to spoil all sorts of stuff right up until this week and stretching back into the annals of comic book history. And the other thing to say is that for those of you who watched the Slasher and Hicksman report, we're not going to dissect every panel, but we're going to get into a little bit about what works and what doesn't work about the city. Sound good? So Freya being our newer mutant um what was your initial reaction to this was it good bad and different where do you fall so i think like the first 20 something issue sorry pages i was kind of thinking that where is this going what's going on what's happening who are these people like i had so many questions and i and i also kind of knew that i'm like you know this will be good to have that discussion but as the pages went on it started to make sense and then it started to kind of click fall into places especially having read excalibur yesterday like all 12 issue yesterday helped so much better (laughs) like you know so i'm kind of excited to talk about it because you know and also as you know that i am don't usually read like issue by issue i'm usually waiting for the whole event to be over so i think that is also causing me a little bit of clutch because you know having like not knowing the next information is like ah what does this mean but i don't know let's see let's see how this goes all right so Tyler, uh, yay, nay, what is your general feeling after having read this issue? It's kind of mm, average right now. So I was pretty exciting, I mean, excited um, with the free comics book day preview. And then when we came to the prelude, Excalibur 12 was kind of mm, not good. Uh, X-Men 12 was a info dump. And then this one was kind of a mix. Um, there are elements in there that I really like. And then there are some elements which kind of, uh, mm, I'm not sure, I'm not 100% buying it right now. Well, we might be in the unusual situation where I like an issue the most, but we'll find out about that shortly. <laughs> yeah. So I have one thing before we actually get into the content of an issue. Um, 
this is the beginning of a direct crossover. I call things direct crossovers, and that's like a term mm -hmm. I think from reading in the 90s, especially if Tyler remembers it too, where it's yeah. like, the, it's going to go from book to book. It's not just one event book. This is an event kickoff, and then it's going to trade around all the various X-Men titles. And of course, this is a famous, famous hallmark of X-Men stories. Batman, Superman, Spider-Man all did it a ton in the 80s as well, but it's way less common in recent years. I mean, I've read every Marvel and DC comic for the past five years, and the longest direct crossover I can think of is maybe like six issues. These mega crossovers just do not happen this way anymore. Freya, can you even remember like the last one you've read where it's been multiple titles kind of inner-threaded to each other directly, not just as tie-ins? Um, I think it was also another excellent title. I think Messiah Complex is the right. one that I recently read um, to, when I was reading X, um, X Factor by Peter David. Um, and then it was just like that. Like it's like a, so many things were happening, so many teams involved. Um, and it's like a one big story, which is, I like it much more than the mm -hmm. so-called events that gets pushed out. So um I am kind of super excited to see how this 22 issues event, sorry, crossover plus the two prelude takes us. Tell me about you. I, I think the last one, the best big, big one was probably like Battle of the Atom, I would think. Yeah, I would think that is the one. But um, the, yeah, the one that stuck in my mind as the most recent one would be um, Second Coming, I think. Hmm. Yeah, that I, I, I mean, the, the yeah, I mean, I, I love that one. That one was pretty tightly knitted. I mean, the story flows from one issues to the next, regardless of the title. And you know, I mean, I, I loved it because um, I started buying floppies. My very very first X Men floppies was Extinction Agenda. So that was like the very first one where you know Havoc was like breaking apart that. The, the uncanny X-Men label. That, that was the, my very first issue. So, so I have, you know, I mean, I have nostalgia for crossovers and I really like them so much more than events. I do too, you know, with a, I think something interesting, and this can be our first big topic is, events can tend to have a homogenizing effect, right? Because it's like one author, no matter how many other people are kind of contributing it with them, unless it's one of these multi-author events like Avengers versus X-Men was, it's one person. So they write voices a certain way. They have certain characters that they use certain ways. And that always worries me, especially with somebody who has idiosyncrasies like Hickman, that certain characters aren't going to really hit for me or land for me. And that, if we think back to last year, was one of my big problems in House of X is that I just felt like everybody kind of talked like a Greek chorus and, and sounded the same. But with a direct crossover, you get all the authors with the characters that they love and then the characters they most want to play with from the other books. And I think it just gives like a little bit more of a diverse read to what it sounds like. Even in this issue, it, it should be remarked upon. This is not just a Jonathan Hickman jam. Teeny Howard co-wrote this, one of the few women in Marvel history to be co-writing, let alone piloting a Marvel crossover event. And uh, I feel like there is a distinct difference in the voices of the characters here compared to a typical Hickman comic book. Tyler, would you agree <laughs> or disagree with that? No, I agree with that. Um, I find certain voices um, pretty on point and you know, and, and that is not usually the case with um, with Hickman, um, you know, given that I have, I have, I mean, sample across the board of his writing in like X-Men 1 to 12, and then the giant size X-Men, uh, the first, all the five issues, you can tell when it is a Hickman dialogue and when it is not a Hickman dialogue. Yeah, I feel like that too. I don't know, I mean, yeah. you, Free, you, you love Jonathan Hickman. He is your future um, comic universe husband. 
is he <laughs> so you don't have the level of problem with it that i do but did this feel hickman-y to you did it feel a little different to you no it did feel hickman-y in terms of like the scope because you know so much was going on and then so many things i am assuming are new things you know because not knowing i'm being a new mutant it's kind of hard for me to kind of see what's new and what's been exact established um, but the thing is like, especially with the charts and with the, all these different factions and everything coming together, it did feel that, but it also felt like anytime Apocalypse was talking, he sounded a little bit more like, uh, Excalibur Apocalypse. So I think that's like, you know, the, the voice kind of coming through over there. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it just, it's, it's a little harder for me to kind of know that knowing, given that I know a little bit less about X-Men, uh, lore. So, you know. Sure. And I, I actually want to talk next about this idea of like what's truly new here or not. But one thing I noticed was, you know, I think if you want to prepare for this, some of the key issues you can go back and read is definitely um, Powers of X4, definitely X-Men number two from this run, and um, definitely that one page from Marvel Comics 1000 if you happen to have spent all the money on that because they're really good source material. And in reading X-Men 2, which had Cyclops, Rachel, and Cable, all of whom are in this, they just sound really different. Like it was like whiplash going from that issue to this issue and being like, wow, like Rachel just sounds more like the Rachel that I'm used to. She's one of my favorite characters. And I don't think we have to um, be like burdened by like having somebody need to reference all of their continuity, but she just sounded a little bit kind of like that tough, semi-acerbic Rachel that I know from Claremont, from Alan Davis, so that kind of put me as ease. Um, and I think that's that's definitely a teeny Howard influence compared to how we've seen Hickman writer already, personally. So you mentioned like some of the older, like, you know, referencing some of the older issues that are new, like within the last year. Yeah. Uh, do you think it's going to be any helpful to go back to the old Excalibur or any of the other older thing? Because Marvel did are putting out the Excalibur yeah. omnibus. And I was trying to think about it. Is there any link to that? Well, well, one huge link. Yeah. I mean, Tyler, we both, I know, I think that's one of your favorites, right? It's one of my all-time favorite comics. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, especially, I mean, I I, I remember um, Alan Davis' second second long run on, on yes. the book, especially. Because that, that was run. really, really good. Yeah. And so that was the other thing. But I, I mean... It's, it's tough because um, the tone is very different because the book is, you know, Excalibur uh, under Claremont and Davis and under Davis himself um, is a little bit more fun and it's a little bit more, you know, not so serious and they, they, don't, they don't deal with, you know, too much of these, um, you know, uh, human hating us and things like that. They touch upon yeah, it. Yeah, that's not, not really a thing in his Excalibur. Yeah. But here is, yeah. here's what is a thing. And his Excalibur, here she is even holding the card, Saturnine. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's, she looks a lot like Emma Frost. She maybe does a little bit more of like a blow dry wave in her yeah. hair and wears a higher collar than Emma Frost. Those are your signals. Um, <laughs> but so it, it's, it's worth pausing for a moment on that. She's actually a creation from um, Captain Britain pre-Excalibur. I think she may be an Alan Moore Alan Davis um, creation. So she has a lengthy, remember. lengthy history, and we have not seen her for a while now. And to have her kind of be here as a feature character is, I think it's wild that we, we've got like an yeah. event book in the year of our Lord 2020 that's built around Saturnine. I just think it's crazy. But I, I always confuse her with Courtney Ross. 
Me too. And I don't know like, that I'm the, the expert there. Um, yeah, I'm not either. So sorry, we are we are going all the way back to S, to OS Caliber. <laughs> yeah. And actually, not not uh, Alan Davis. Yes, not Alan Moore. Uh, Dave yeah. Thorpe and Alan Davis created her. Oh, her okay. first appearance was in the Mighty Marvel, Mar- Mighty World of Marvel, Marvel Superheroes. 381, which was a UK comic, so none of you have probably ever owned that or read that unless you lived in the UK, who's watching. But here's the thing, roundaboutly, to say to Freya. Otherworld is pretty much the Grand Central Station of the Marvel Universe. Through Otherworld, they created this idea of the 616 universe, because there's so many Captain Britons, and they're all numbered, and ours was 616. So this whole idea of using Otherworld as the hub to get us across to this lost world, not only is it rooted in 30-plus years of Marvel continuity, but it's very Hickman. It's very Secret Wars. It's very very on brand for our boy. Yeah. (laughs) It feels to me, especially for, I know you know the um, Fantastic Four uh, run well, it feels very much like Hickman just kind of bringing back his whole, like, councils of reeds and they go through the bridge. Like, it's just one of these themes that he really likes, bless his heart, and, and this is how he got there here. But here's what's different is this idea of, like, a world on the other side. I don't think he's really dealt with that a lot. It feels more like Marvel com- com- Cosmic with like the Cancerverse stuff. It, I don't feel like Hickman usually deals with this idea of an unknown destination or even currently an Immortal Hulk without you kind of playing with like the green door and what's beyond the green door. And we got our first hints of that back in Hoxpox um, with this idea of like Apocalypse was there when the world was torn asunder and Krakoa a long, long time ago lost its mate. Uh, was that kind of present in your mind as you were reading this? Or did you need a refresher to kind of be like, oh, that's what we're talking about? I, I kind of got thought about that when I was reading X-Men 2 or 3, whenever the first time the summoner, summoner arrived. Uh, that's when I was kind of thinking about it. I'm like, oh, where did I see, heard about that before? And then kind of just did a quick, um, like, you know, quick Google search. I'm like, okay, that was the first time. Um, but the thing is, like, in terms of making a connection that way, I I wasn't kind of thinking about that. There's just so much information, you guys. It was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> well, you know, I have some other things I want to talk about plot-wise, but yeah. Freya, you kind of keep mentioning so much information. So what were some of the other things that to you just jumped out as, wow, that's a lot? Like, there's the externals, which are somehow different than the eternals. <laughs> 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 the difference is like, Rob Liefeld. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and, hi, and maybe, you know, he, he was watching Highlander one night. Yeah. And Which has like, swords, oh, so. Yeah, and this is like, oh, this is a great idea. Look, I'm going to make it my idea. I'm just putting it into X, X-Force. So yeah. Tyler, Tyler tends to be a really good, like, note-taker receipt haver. So I want to actually turn this over to you for a second. I had to remind myself in rereading these kind of lead-up issues that Summoner was a little bit of an antagonist at first and his kind of heel turn here to be like, ah, I'm stabbing you in the back was actually really plain for us to see. And I think we kind of forgot it because he was playing chess with Rockside, at least I did. But Mm -hmm. that seems like it was set up really clearly in X-Men 2 and Apocalypse just wanted to like him, which is new for Apocalypse, like be nice to somebody. But is that true? Do you feel like the the deceit was there all along? Well, I didn't see it in X-Men 2 in particular because um, that was the first time he appears and right. he's supposed to be someone from another world. But when he started playing chess with, um, I think it was the first couple of issues in X-Men 11 when he was you know, talking the about yeah. the game and like testing weakness and things like that. That was when I found it really creepy. Like when he was like, oh yeah, 
you I, how do we play this game you just sit down and start playing the game <laughs> and what's the aim of the game well uh, well we're just trying to understand each other and figure out what your weakness is so why would you want to play a game like that with someone who is magical and from another world like you have no idea what that is <laughs> so that was a part which sort of like oh okay what is happening here well, and I also think that something I really am starting to enjoy about this run now that we're a year in is they're taking a lot of things with symbology that we might already know about, like tarot cards, which I actually happen to be, I have a whole shelf of tarot cards, right? So this side of this computer, or ch chess, where, where it kind of like reminds us of things like kind of sacrificing a piece to get a stronger piece into please, place, or the tarot cards kind of being different if they come up inverted or not. And it's giving us these outside hit, hints from kind of game systems, which is different than just relying on Marvel history or something insular, it kind of allows people who know a little bit about these things, and I'm certainly not an expert in tower or chess, to kind of come from outside and, and see um, kind of what's been, what's happening. And I think very much the summoner thing is very like chess, you know, it's like very sacrifice a piece to draw somebody in or, you know, make it look like you're, you're at risk to pull the other player's strong piece and then take them out. And that was very much what happens in the sex of sword issue. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about um, how Hickman was trying to um, sort of like, you know, cover our eyes because the data pages, the data page in X-Men 12 and the data page in X-Men 2 um, on the uh, summoners, they look exactly the same if you don't read carefully. And then when you start reading carefully, you're like, oh, wait, oh, wait, this is five here, that is one here, and the total is six. And then this is talking about Araco and this talking about MF. So, so it's totally different. So, so now you know that there are two fractions in, on the other side and they are fighting each other. And, then you, and that is, I think, also a huge hint as to, you know, the, the, what, I mean, the betrayal, if you want, mm. if you would. I kind of felt, I kind of fell for his deceit, though. I kind of fell for his deceit. Like, you know, I, I bought in that, you know, he's like, a victim of something like you know and then the fact that you know because like when the first x-men 2 when that data page was there their numbers were slashed like you know now remains i honestly thought that they were killed off or something like that um but and i all like you know i also thought that oh these are the same page i'm like oh but these people are like you know there's higher number but then when you pointed out that they're if you add them together is the same that's when i was like oh maybe something but i really loved how that was revealed like you know that that he's not the like you know he's not whatever he's saying is not true like it was really well done we were going to talk about it but it, i thought that that really blew up like, whoa even though part of me was like maybe not you know well, I think it does a really interesting kind of positional thing where we just are led to assume that it's kind of this pincher attack of the old horsemen and from one side pushing through other world and then kind of the X-Men pushing the other side and they're going to meet in the middle and like hug or something, you know, and that they're they're both going to then fight against the, the, the evil bad guys and against other world itself. And it's, it's just the way this, the narrative is set, the way it bounces back and forth, it really sets them up like they're forces that are moving together to um, not to collide, but to kind of intersperse. And then that moment of collision, I was like, okay, it takes a 
lot to like really make me go, ooh, while I'm reading a comic book, but like I, they really got me. And then I went back and kind of reread. And But before we get too deep into the factions on Otherworld and, and from Morocco, I want to talk about the factions somewhere close to home, which is the Quiet Council, which I've come to really get excited every time they're yeah. shown. Now that Kate is alive again, this is the full Quiet Council. And they're basically like admonishing Apocalypse for opening up this special external gate. Um, and then Doug is like, no, no, no. Krakoa says this other thing, which made me immediately think of Powers of X4, where Doug pretty much Watch mocks colonizer Xavier to be like, oh, I'm sure you think you have an empathetic language with him, right? Xavier friend. And um, But here's what Krakoa is actually saying. And that's where we first get the story. And the scene mirrors it here because Doug's like, ah, Krakoa says no. And then they try to like be pleasant about it. Like, I'm sure Krakoa... And Doug's like, no, what did I? So, so, so the very first interaction uh, with with Krakoa, um, Doug was asking him, say, well, what do you think? It's just one question. Well, and Krakoa said, I acknowledge and accept the gift of the external gate, and and Doug was like, really? That's it? And then Krakoa said, yes. So basically, Wait, are you translating on, the Krakoa language? Yeah, I, I translated it. I thought it was just gibberish. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's not oh my gosh. <laughs> Do we need more languages, Hickman? What are you no, but this one is really easy because okay. he because it's, it's really almost one for one. And then like only in later panels, I think um, Doug added in additional lines which were oh, not there. So unreliable I don't translator. know what is happening. Yeah. I really like when Doug said, all right, damn, you don't have to be that, you don't have to be that way about it. <laughs> I love that. I love that addition. Like, you know, sometimes like translators will kind of take stuff out because they don't want to, you know, insult the yeah. other party. So it was kind of like that. Um, like, the Quiet Council is like, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with them. Like, I want to see one, like, you know, more issues of them, you know, just bickering. Especially when Sinister is like, yeah, then, then we close the door behind you. Now this meeting is interesting. Like, it's just so much. It's so much fun. And then the thing is, they're just bickering constantly like old couple. Uh, I just, and the thing is, like, it's like, I don't know if there was ever a time, like, you know, we would think that, you know, Apocalypse, because of his decision that he just done, you know, he's going to get told off by all the other people. Like, how could you do this? Like, to me, that was just like... Right, like admonishing Apocalypse. I'm like, oh, wow, this is not something I've ever, that I ever thought we would see in an X-Men comic book. It just, it just feels like, it just feels like they're all equal in a way. Like, you know, you would never think that, you know, that he, he would probably get a pass because he's in the higher tier but that's not the case even though it was kind of Magneto who was telling him that hey you could like in a while but then Apocalypse kind of went into the whole route of ask for forgiveness instead of permission like yeah. you know I'm Sometimes like that's the, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the best policy the other thing I like about this is um really nothing to do with the council itself is that um Kate actually has gloves on because she has a knuckles, you know, kill Shaw. So she's trying to hide the fact that, you know, like, oh, that's my plan. So she has like gloves on. I was like, yeah, that's, right. that's continuity. For a, minute, for a minute, I looked at that panel. I'm like, when has Kate or Kitty Pride ever dressed like that? And then like hours later, my brain got the rest of the way there. Yeah. Like that's okay. I did. I did not. I forgot. I forgot about that. I don't know how I could. But the thing is, like, this makes so much sense because I was yeah. also like, 
And then, obviously, because of the red and everything, I was like, okay, that's Kate. Her hairstyle is different as well. So, but the thing is, like, it was, um, it was, that whole quiet council scene was spot on. Yeah. Also, yeah. I want to point out, because we have Mystique Watch here on this program, where we always pay close attention to what Mystique says. She says, Orcus, don't forget about Orcus. Like, she's not going to let it go. She's not going to let go that they left, you know, part of the station there. She's not going to... And also, by not letting that go, she's twisting the knife a little bit on Xavier and Magneto to be like, and don't forget about okay. that thing that you told me about my wife. So, yeah. was she one of the point of the tarot card, tarot card? Because there was one that was like, you know, that one tarot card was about someone is not getting what she wants or someone is not getting what they want. And she was the point of one of them, I felt. That was the one where it says the, the, ten, the ten of swords. So basically it says betrayal, betrayed by those you would show your back. Is that the one that you're talking about? No, no, there is another one uh, because I distinctly remember that. I wish I had it. it had the it's Eight of Cups that someone is missing in their life, that one? Yeah. Like it felt like, you know, was it talking about her a little bit? I don't know. Well, I was that's just the kinda, beauty of a good tarot reading is that yeah. you can interpret it like in any direction, right? Oh, oh, someone's heart has been left empty. Exactly. Exactly. That's the Eight of Cups. Yeah, someone's heart is left empty, and that it's her, right? Like, I mean, I well, couldn't... not just her, I think, because I think the picture shows Genesis, which is Apocalypse's first wife. Yeah. Yeah, but the, you know. Yeah, but it could mean anything because, like, right now we have like three different readings of the same cards. We have the free comic book day reading, right. which is different from this issue's reading, which is different from. Tarot's reading. So, so let's talk about that for a second. For all of you old school fans of Uncanny X-Men 281, where the Hellions get massacred, Taro is back and she's doing actual full data pages of commentary in her broken Franglish in this comic book. I've, I mean, as somebody who appreciates this minor historical BS stuff, I was just getting my life on that data page. Like, I'm so happy. Because people are like, how do you have a crossover about tarot cards and not have the, I mean, yeah. <laughs> her mutant power is tarot cards. She's one of Emma's students at Emma's Academy and her mutant power is tarot card reading. Yeah. And, and she doesn't hang out with Gambit at all. Like, I would feel like there's like that French connection that they would, but also like the card and everything. But they don't. <laughs> well, she's been so French. So she's, right, Tyler, there's two things. She's, yeah. She's French She's and Gamut's not. He's just yeah. Cajun. But also she was dead for most of the past 30 years. The majority. Uh, she was dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have but, to get a whole... Yeah, just a small, a small segue, um, you know, sort of like tangent from this, is that like in this one issue itself, Carrot is not the only like deep dive, deep dive characters that they brought back. So who else would you put in the deep dive category? Jim Jasper. Okay, tell us about that because I, I even for me that's a little unusual. I mean, I know we explain it. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually don't know that character well, but I read him I think once in Excalibur, and he's someone who with reality manipulation power, and not the six one six character. I think, I think. In another universe, he's a mutant with um, reality bending power as well. So he's one of those um, 
yeah, he's one of those legion uh, level type of uh, of character. He can warp reality. Yeah, and he again, this is pre Excalibur history, although there is some Excalibur yeah. era history. But um, this is in Captain Britain comic books when he was only yeah. in UK comic books. So that you'd be forgiven if you wouldn't know. It's collected in two um, black and mostly black and white hardcovers, and then also in the beautiful Captain yeah. Britain uh, omnibus, which is hugely yeah. out of print. Maybe we'll get a reprint next year if Captain Britain is hot enough. Yeah. Because it's amazing. It actually is yeah. actually amazing Marvel comics. And then you have Roma and Merlin back. Yes. Roma, I love Roma because she was really around when I first got into comics and I thought it was like cool. I remember she had a, cra- a trading card in the first Jim Lee trading card set and I yeah. just kind of felt like an insider that I like knew who this random non-X-Men person was. Because technically Saturnine serves Roma, technically. Yeah. She like serves at the pleasure of. Initially, right? But yeah. Not, not in this iteration. This iteration no, seems... in charge. Yeah. Yeah. So it's totally different. Freya's just like, you nerds. Yeah. nerds. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling being in your presence. Ugh. Nerds. <laughs> Talking about characters we know and love a little bit better than some of these other ones, though. There's this, ex- first there's the expedition that goes with Summoner into, um, you know, into the portal in X-Men 12 that was Eunice the Untouchable, who I legitimately actually really enjoy because he's one of these Silver Age characters that comes back, and Banshee. And the thing is, Really? You're going to choose two X-Men and Banshee as your powerhouse? His whole recent history is dying. Uh, that, even that's I his, he's becoming the red shirt character of the X-Men. And the thing is that even I know that. Yeah, <laughs> even Faria knows that Banshee's going to get killed. <laughs> I know that. Do you know how bad it is when I know that? Like, you know, especially like the whole X-Factor, there was this whole thing where it's like uh, his daughter, uh, Serene, right? Siren, yeah. Siren. Siren. Yeah. Siren, and like you know, Siren, she's like, oh no, he's not dead. He he always dies and he comes back. Like she has that the whole thing where she was in complete denial, and and then he was and he was back. But to that point, though, I had a question. Do you sure. think they left him alive on purpose so they know his their plan? Because why Summoner didn't kill him? Because he knows that this place is filled with psychics and like you know telepaths and all that so why wasn't he killed or was it like left alive on purpose that is a very good question i Mm -hmm. I don't know tyler do you think it was on purpose or by mistake i think it is the hook to pull the rest of the x-men in Mm. so they needed something to pull them in and you know maybe get them a little bit off guard but um i mean it could go both way i mean it could be it could really be something else that is happening, you know, but um, yeah, I don't know, to be honest. And also, like, you think it's possible that that memory is also planted? I mean, anything's possible because Jonathan Hickman, but I also think yeah. that it's like at some point you, there's like a level of reader trust that you can't betray. Like if you kind of make everything a fake out for everything else, which he has done before, and that's why he's betrayed my trust. But if you do make everything fake out for everything else, eventually you like can't take anything you're reading at face value. So I, just for my own sanity, I have to assume that I can take some things at face value. So what him being involved gives us is is Banshee, or is Siren, who's sometimes also called Banshee, um, going through as part of the recovery mission along with mm-hmm. uh, other folks. And I love when Monet is going through, and is it Emma who's, or somebody's like, why would you go through? And she goes, I don't know, it sounds like a job I might want. I'm like, yeah. yes, Monet, dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. <laughs> I, I think it's Archangel. 
I changed your ass. Uh, I was like, okay, well, why? The question is her, and then they they show show Monet, and she's like, well, it feels like a job that I might want in the future. I just I love that. That's and that's probably Hickman because he does love her. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Actually, it's Apocalypse who asks her. Now that I'm looking at. Oh, these. really? Okay. It's even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> even funnier. What are you? Doing? No, but the way I was thinking about it, the when when I first read it. I was I was thinking that she wanted to be she wanted to, to be the um to take over um Saturnine's role. Well, I mean that's that's a thing I would expect Monet to want. She's the yeah. she's the little the lady in charge. She's the bee in charge. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It it is it is disappointing though that she's not in any of the ongoing series. Like is she no. like she I, was supposed to be in something called X Corp. But oh. somehow that book did not happen. Yeah, it was squeezed in the letter pages of Captain Marvel, and they said that Captain Marvel artist Carmen Canero, one of my MVPs at Marvel, uh, was going to be drawing it. And then it almost was like you could see off camera, like the X office being like, <laughs> and then it just never, never happened. So, so we get this, we get this expedition. So on one side, the expedition goes in and has this huge fight, which leads up to the betrayal we keep talking about. And the other side, we get Rachel and Cable, who are like, oh, let's like see if banshee's okay and they kind of pick up on this vision this ominous vision and they go to tell mom and dad i love how they call you know gene gray and cyclops are just mom and dad now that just makes me get so happy (laughs) well that's one of the reasons why i actually enjoy cable so much the cables uh solo solo series right now is like he's like oh mom i don't have time for dinner i need to change and go out and rescue this mutant baby that they kidnapped i'm like Gene's like, have fun now. Don't forget to call. Yeah. <laughs> Which usually I'm like a little bit against like the, the marming of, of women characters to just turn them into a mom. And especially in comics because every kid gets aged up. So like all of a sudden you have this mom who's like, oh, I guess you're another one of my kids from the future. I was just reading some other comic other than this where that was really happening. I was like rolling my eyes. But it worked for me here because they also did it to Cyclops. And da- I'm always into superhero dudes as dads, not because I'm a dad, but because I think it just creates inherent hilarity because they have to be sensitive in a way that they're not usually allowed to. And I loved it when they did for Superman. And I love Dad Clops. Dad Clops makes me really amused and happy. Uh, so the thing is, is it like the first time that they're all in the same timeline and then this dynamic is being explored better because i i know in my limited knowledge that he's from the future there's all this very complicated things that's happening with him and he always was very older like you know yeah now he's like a teen like you know teen cable people it's like, very like and tyler can back me up here or not it's very like mixed missed connections it's kind of like rachel's somewhere but she's old and cable's young but then gene and cyclops comes but rachel just died in the future and that it's like very like they don't all wind up at once. I don't know, Tyler, right? Yeah. Would you confirm? I think that? so. I think the only time that young Cable and a really old Rachel was together was in that Ascani future. Yes. Where where Cyclops and Phoenix went for their honeymoon. And, you know, they ended up like all together. I think right. that was the only small period of time that they were together. And then... But not not that, in the ongoing like this. No, no, that no was they've never been all in the cast yeah. of the same book before. No, right. that yeah. I can think of anyway. 
Um, so then, you know, in the struggle, we also get this great moment of Monet, who's, I like Monet because she's kind of like a tank mage in, in gaming terms. Like she does everything. She's psychic, she's strong, she flies. And so she like gets all psychic and like tells off Saturnine and then Saturnine just like shatters her, her psychic thing, which I think was like a nice kind of like establishing the scope of who's yeah. really bad here. Yeah, I and mean, I then, I, sorry. I also liked the idea, like, you know, it's kind of like that gif is like, can I mute you? And it's like, mute. Like, you know, please. You just Not just mute, pause too. <laughs> I said to like, just pause them up, like, emit fight. She's like, okay, now it's my turn to appear. Pause. And then it's like, okay, your turn to speak. No, I, I'm going to unpause you now. <laughs> so before we come to kind of the big final page reveal, um, Freya, favorite moments in here? Characters you really enjoyed here? Folks you're seeing for the first time? What's your assessment? Um, I think, like, you know, I really enjoyed Monet being in action because I was kind of hoping that, you know, I read, like, all of the other issues, like, very recently, and I was kind of sad that she wasn't in any of them yet. Um, so kind of seeing her uh, appear. And I also liked uh, the Cables moment where it's like they went to this thing, sphere thing, and then, you know, it's like, oh, oh, wow, that is it. It's like, oh, what is it? <laughs> like, that's exactly what I was thinking too. <laughs> so, you know, and then so that, that was like really a, like a fun moment. And then also like the quiet council always takes the cake. So that would be mine. Tyler, any big favorites for you? Um, I think almost the same as what Freya was talking about. Like the council moments, the moments that you just mentioned where Monet basically, you know, tried to <laughs> tried to shout at Saturday and then got shot down. And then um yeah, I mean these these are the few moments. And then and the the very last reveal was really, really surprising to me, even though we knew it was coming, but it kind of like okay, I did not expect it to come so fast. Like, you know, this is just chapter one, last page. And I was like, whoa. Well, it is called Exit Stories, <laughs> but we're going to get that in just a moment. Yeah, I know. Um, I, You know, I mean, I really like this team. I think it's fun because they chose people that we aren't necessarily getting a ton of in the other books. Polaris now is in, in X Factor, and X Factor, X -Factor is going to be the next one up in the rotation. So it'll be interesting to see if it focuses on her. But I really enjoyed that moment of like, it is made of metal. Because uh, Polaris is a great character, and she's been through so much. And I think they just kind of like play her as the crazy character. It's like we're past that. Let's. I really enjoyed this beat that Hickman has been playing of her being kind of Magneto's daughter and his confidant, especially since you know Wanda and and Piotr have been um, you know wiped off of the Magneto's Magneto's children list. So I kind of I just really enjoy when Polaris is used effectively. She doesn't have to be like strong female character every time, but let's just use her for something other than just like being crazy, you know, which I think is she's being used here. So there, like you know, under like it's like oh the House of M, like you know, it's like she got a she recently got. A lecture too, which yeah, I get all those. As She's well. the representative since he's got to, yeah, you like, know, because Magneto is like the hero of the people. I mean, we've got to address that, even though he's only a little bit here. He's become like the mascot of the island yeah. based on, especially like X Men 10 and 11. Definitely. I mean, he's definitely the one where the, um, they are like, he's trying to be pushed up to be the, the messiah or someone, someone like that. So I want to now talk about two kind of final revelations. First is Saturnine kind of breaks up the fight and she shows that she's all powerful. And in a weird twist, at least I thought it was weird. She's like, great. 
there's 10 swords for each of you to find and then you'll have a fight. I'm like, that. that's what the story is about? I had like a very like kind of moment. I don't know, what did the two of you think? I kind of feel the same way. It's like, okay, yeah. so it's like a quest mission because I feel like Avengers No Surrender was kind yes. of- That's the first thing I thought of. Yeah, that's kind of like in the same way. And then often those never ends very satisfactorily. Like, you know, because it's like, oh, okay, you're gonna, like, you know, the sword finding, it'll be kind of interesting. Um, but the thing is, by the time they come back, it's be like, yeah, they're gonna talk and they're gonna fight and that's gonna be end. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure yet. So, but the thing is like, you know, it's like, well, who knows? Because this, hopefully this crossover changes some things, right? Then, and the thing is like, you know, so I just don't know yet how this is gonna play out. I mean, I, I'm not sure if the listing of the the names are talking about I, you have to go and find the sword or something. So that's the part which I don't know what happened. Like, um, like I genuinely not. I'm not very sure if, if like, okay, who is feeding them the names and why are they right, reading out Polaris those names? It, and that was like yeah. awkward. Like, why is Polaris like listing out these names of swords? Correct. So, so and, uh, is is Sachinai the one that is like planting it in her mind, or like I don't know. That's the part which I I got really um, was like was like I, I was taken out of the story because it was Polaris speaking that, yeah, and I mean, that doesn't really sit really well with me. Saturnine does do this thing where she like says, here's the card and like see it in your mind. So I, when I went back and re-looked at the page, I'm like, oh, I guess she's kind of granting them information. They're kind of expositing to us. But I agree. It just felt weird, especially because it's just this list. And clearly we recognize some of the names unless we all know the soul sword. And of course, if we've been reading Cable, we know he has the light of Galador Skybreaker. Yeah. Or no, the light of Galador Skybreaker. Yeah. But I kind of just wanted a moment of recognition from one of them to be like, I know some of these names or like we've just felt like it just felt like it would have felt more real if one of them had taken a beat to be like there's more you, you know which I guess we'll probably get in some of the tie-ins because Cable clearly mm -hmm. has one of the swords and we see him use it yeah. but yeah. I just think it would have connected better for me if if there was this moment of of where they literally said there's more swords yeah I mean so all, or they can just ask like or you know instead of Polaris if Psylocke is the one who went in I mean as in Betsy is the one who went in she would have recognized um, the sort of might. Yeah, and like, where was Excalibur? And I kind of was confused about where <sighs> no. they were. Like, didn't we just end with them somewhere else in Otherworld? They'd like just, I, I don't know. I just was like a little, but then yeah. Victor was part of the party. That definitely didn't work the best for me. So this was one of the weaker parts of the issue for me was mm -hmm. this whole gladiator sword thing. Freya? So are these swords like, you know, coming from previous X-Men stories or these are new implements? Some of them. Yeah. So, like the Muramasa is the sword that can kill people like Wolverine, right? It's like the sword that cancels out Healing Doctor and it's on both other lists too. Yeah, it's both on the list. So um, the Sword of Might is the one that Captain Britain did not choose initially, but right, chose sort of the scepter. recently. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the Starlight Sword, I was thinking that it could be something that keeps appearing in Betsy's dream. Hmm. So that was one of them. And, and then Warlock. The Sorry, which one? 
No, no, I was just saying, what about the one in X-Force? The end of X-Force? Right, the, the Cerebro sword. Cerebral? Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. which could be another, you know, one of these could have a different name for that. And then there's yeah. also the one that split the two originally was the Twilight Sword, which here they call the Twilight Blade, so probably the same thing. Yeah. But that, so, I don't know. I'm sure the internet is going to have checklists of swords. I, yeah. I hope that we're not going to do that, but you never know. Yeah. Right. I, I, just, mean, I, I, I never connected swords with X-Men. Like, you know, it's never been <laughs> as a very casual reader. So that's yeah. why I'm like, tell me more. I mean, the, the X, the two of them are crossed. It's practically two swords. You could have been just reading this swordsman this whole time. Oh, and true. so where's swordsman? You know, how can we do this crossover without swordsman? They just use them in Empire. Um, and you were supposed to say X of swords or 10 of swords because the card is 10 of swords. 10 of swords. Swords of swords. I don't know. <laughs> Pog or Pog, let, who knows who's making up these names. Uh, so let's, now the final reveal is Cable and Rachel give Cyclops and, and Jean this vision of this thing. It's like a ball and a square. And it's like, I, you know, I don't know. And Cyclops is like, I know. And so they go through a gate or no, they can't use a gate. And they use a, a transporter and a clear Star Trek reference, I thought. And they wind up on the sword station, which is not only cool because it's a cool thing, and it's not only cool because it means we're going to get Abigail Brand, who I'm obsessed with, but it's cool because if you just read Empire, anybody here? Anybody just read Empire? Tyler? Yeah? If you just read Empire, Empire ends with Abigail Brand clearly wearing some X costume stuff like, and being yeah. like, y'all messed up big. Um, yeah. And so this is clearly kind of connecting the X-Men to the rest of the Marvel Universe in a way that hasn't really happened for the past 12 issues. So I I thought that mm -hmm. was pretty cool but Freya not I know you were not caught up in that do you even know have you read sword stories you've read Astonishing yes. X-Men so you know Abigail Brand is yeah I know Abigail Brand and there was also like a, a Karen Gillan yes great miniseries where, yeah yeah where's like you know Abigail Brand and Beast is like a blue muffin which was yeah no time to breathe yeah. So, so I mean, was uh, this exciting to you? Like, did it have the impact? I'm afraid if some people maybe are like older Lapsed X-Men fans, you, you probably know more than them and it might not have hit. For me, it really hit. Did it hit for you? Um, no, I mean, it's just like uh, the fact that sold to me is equal to Abigail Brand. So I was more excited about her showing up, but not so excited about the status of the sword. <laughs> like, yeah. the station. Status offline. That, like, yeah. Hmm. I was like, what does that mean? Life forms <laughs> so, undetected. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, what's what's what that means? So I'm you know, excited to see that. Yeah. But I mean we have this crossover, even though it's called Ten of Souls or X of Souls, um, is twenty-two chapters. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be twenty-two chapters of sword fighting. Yeah, it's going to be 20 in the middle chapters where they find 20 different swords, 10 for each side, and then one end chapter. That's, yeah. actually, that's actually what it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, if, if, it is that, if it turns out that way, I'm going to be really disappointed. But, you know, I feel like there's going to be a bigger story somewhere, you know, within this. And it's probably going to launch the, the whole Krakoa into a different direction. Part of me feels a little sad about that because I'm like, I just wanted more of this initial Krakoa, this very ideal, idyllic Krakoa where everybody's re-meeting each other for the same time. Maybe that's reckoning back to our episode last week, why I love New Mutants so much, because I feel like it gives up, and also X Factor, because it feels like it's like very rooted in like how happy it is to be there right now. And mm -hmm. I kind of already am having this FOMO of like, 
we couldn't have had an anthology book. Like we, we couldn't get anything more. We've already got to mess things up, but I don't know, Freya, do you, I mean, you love it when mutants are beautiful and safe and happy. Are you having that feeling too? I was mostly kind of thinking that how it, it's kind of difficult to say right now because this is just a first issue. We I, we don't know how this is going to go. Right. Um, but the thing is, at certain time, the party will have to stop. And then I'm just kind of happy to see that it's not humans. Like, oh my God, humans are coming to take over. Like, you know, thank God for that. It's not that. It's as of right now, doesn't have to do with future yet. Who knows? Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, but the thing is, like, it's just, um, I'm just kind of tr- like excited to see, like, how this is. I never would have, like, you know, expected Apocalypse to be in the center, like, of the something that, you know, he's starting and somehow he's on the good side so far. Like, you know, um, so I, I don't know. It just is difficult to say. But the thing is, like, at the same time, like, we would need to move on at some point. Um, yes. Could it have been like when we get to issue 20 of every one of them? Maybe, you know, it, it does feel a little too premature, but, you know, just waiting to see where it goes. But the thing is, one thing I do want to mention though, did you, like, I felt like for the first time, the whole regeneration thing took the shine off when Apocalypse was killed. Or he was like, you know, that's the first time I felt like, oh, well, well, okay, it means nothing. <laughs> So well, because whenever they're like trying to like get him back to the gate, I'm like, or leave his body there and go back. Yeah. I guess I guess the fear is that if he's somehow kept alive because he's an external, that they won't be able to regenerate him. Like as opposed to Banshee, who maybe it would have made sense to just slit his throat and like which has happened to him several times before, and then just bring him back. Whereas with the externals, like maybe you just don't want to tempt fate, is is kind of how I read into that. But I that could just be me fan wanking, you know. I mean, I, f- I feel like, like you know, it's just like their powers get redistributed as well. So right, and it might mess up the gate because they needed like yeah. four of them to anchor the gate. And what happens if one of them dies? Like, there's other maybe reasons. Right. But the thing is, like, I was like, that's what the first time I was like, oh well, that means nothing. And we also saw him coming back in Excalibur. Like, right. you know, he was he he was he just came back. So it's like, yeah. yeah. Well, that doesn't mean much. <laughs> yeah, I know. His, but I mean, his re, his regeneration counter is just one. I mean, as opposed to you know Quentin Quill, who is right. like four How or many five times now. Quentin Quill died so far in the past twelve. He's <laughs> like four or five now. It's like almost every issue. <laughs> that was the running gag of the whole exports. Uh, but then yeah. also because of a white council, I would think that they already got the body done, and it's just like a matter of. Get, get you in yeah, like maybe they've kind of they, clearly quiet council members get first dibs on being. Oh, involved, he did. I would he assume. said that already. It's already yeah. established in right. Excalibur. It's already established. Like, oh, yeah. like, quiet council member. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Um, but yeah. yeah, so the thing is, like, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I, oh, but but going going back to that point, right? Like, um, of 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 Krakoa being idyllic and 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 having you know, fun and safe, you know, like it being a paradise for mutants. I I feel like the, you know, Krakoa as a nation is missing a lot of things. Mm. A nation should be doing, right? There is no, well, first of all, there's no city planning at all. 
people just planted like, oh, I, I want to sit here. I want I, I want to live here. And 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 I, I would just ask Krakoa to grow a hut for me. You know, there is no planning. That's the first thing, right? I mean, okay. But talking about that, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Look, we all but have more, kinks in X Men comic books. But more, more importantly, I think um, they they do not talk about or they do not think about defense. They are now all reacting to people attacking them, right? There's no talk about defense. There's no defense mechanism of the island. People plant gates anytime they want, and that allows for Trojan horse attacks, as we saw in X-Force and things like that. And, you know, and they only know that someone is attacking Krakoa when they landed on Krakoa and Krakoa figure out that these are not mutants. And that kind of doesn't work if you think in terms of a nation, right? Mm. You don't just simply allow people to come in without checking, without quarantine. So, so that, that has to be... Yeah, they, they need to do things like that. There, there need to be a transit or whatever, right? Which they have established, but they're not using. Because yeah. anyone can plant anything. And I want to, so I want to touch on that. And I actually want to go back to one theme from Freya and then we'll kind of lightning round to the end here is the idea of like, I don't know how to quite articulate it, but this is just the beginning stage of Krakoa. Like just because Xavier and Magneto established Krakoa doesn't mean they've executed the fullness of Mora's vision from Hoxpox, right? Like we know that some of this aligns with Mora's vision, like having Apocalypse there and like having a dynamo. But a lot of the things, it feels like we haven't fully revealed what it's supposed to become. Like it's not in its end state. And I think this, that to me connects with this ideas of, well, we're just making gates everywhere. And right now it feels like, well, that's not well defended. And what happens if people come and go? And it's also like, well, we're just building houses any, everywhere. And it's like, well, what about the future of society? What happens? How are we supposed to interact? And part of me feels like that's being held back a little bit because we don't, fully know Xavier and Magneto's plan. We don't have the full transparency yet. And so part of me gets frustrated because I'm like, great, another gate. Like there's just a part of me that can't like that fully. But then part of me is like, let's remember the long game. Moore's in the no place and Xavier and Magneto are doing their karaoke version of what she thinks the plan ought to be. And we don't know what that fully is yet. So that's that's one thing I wanted to put a pin on. But I also want to come back to something Freya said is as a longtime comic book reader, for the vast majority of my life, I sometimes roll my eyes at retcon developments, especially when they're a whole society. You know, to go back and say that Apocalypse had this whole other life and a wife and this whole other land and he came through the land, you know, millions of years ago or however long ago it was, like, um, part of me has to roll my eyes to that. And also there's, I think there's an offhand mention here that of the second generation of mutants, I don't even want to get into that right now. Because they called yeah. him the first mutant. I went back and they called him the first mutant in Hawkbox. In the second generation. Yeah, in the second generation. Yeah. But party realizes, like Freya said, it's nice to not always have humans. And that thing that you do when you make every story an encyclopedia of continuity and you're like referring back, you know, you bring back Bastion, you bring back Cameron Hodge, you bring back the, all of these people, is it just kind of starts to feel like the same story and you have to do something big and different. And, you know, Second Coming managed to have those old characters and feel big and different, but it's really hard to recycle that stuff again. Mm -hmm. And so as much as like pedantic Peter is like, oh, really, like we're going to retcon in a whole society, whatever, actually it's a little bit thrilling. And having read this issue, I can actually like slightly forgive X-Men 12 for being like Hickman's Dungeons Master's Guide to this whole world because we are, oh, we deserve this world. We deserve more history for mutants. We deserve things for them to do other than to fight humans. And if you think it's a little bit lame, 
grin and bear it like I'm doing for a couple of issues because it's going to yield more interesting things for our characters to do yeah. a year from now or 10 years from now. We can't just recycle Cameron Hodge again. And, and That's been my you. PSA. Thank you. That Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for attending my TED Talk. No, my but that, that, talk, that is something. Talk, my TED Talk. My swords of TED Talk. <laughs> I mean, that's something that we all, I mean, at least I, th- I think, you know, most of us, not most of us, a, a fraction of us agrees that it shouldn't be the same struggle over and over again because... Oh, wow. Yeah, because because I think the problem I think is Rhea, because especially Claire, even as our newest member feels that way for yeah, no, but because Claremont has done such a great job in establishing that dynamics and that struggle that every writer that comes after struggles to come up with something new and yet trying to satisfy people who likes those things and then you feel like it's going to it's recycling and recycling yeah. and recycling and after like what how many years is it now 25 30 years since what of the same story no oh, i mean wow. of of the of that kind of stories like you know yeah. over and over again in different type of iteration with different people with different mutants. Well, the thing that enemies. I think about, right, along that is that we're about, we've actually now crossed the point where it's been as long since Claremont's original run as X-Men even existed up to that point. Like, it used to be this overwhelming feeling of like, well, the majority of X-Men lore is Claremont lore. Yeah. But Claremont was from 19, you know, 1963 to 1991 was like the original Stan Lee and then Roy Thomas yeah. and then Claremont. And it's been almost... 30 years, it'll be 30 years next year since Claremont yeah. left. We're at year 29, almost to the week right now. And um, and and so that's existed just as long. So it's like, we've got to stop just pretending that Claremont is the only mm-hmm. me, X-Men story that's out there. Um, so I want to lightning round through a couple things now to wrap up. First of all, we haven't really spoken specifically about the art, but we're, we're Lara's lovers from Hoxpox. Something we said a lot together in Hoxpox was he has been elevated to be one of the great artists at Marvel right now. I don't, I don't think there's a bad panel on this whole comic book. Like, I, I truly think it is stunningly gorgeous. It is. I mean, I think if we are going to nitpick, it's just that, you know, Statue 9 and Emma looks almost identical. That's the only thing. And that's a problem that he inherited, to be fair. Right. So I was, I was kind of very getting annoyed by that. But now that you mentioned that this is an old... Like, you know, this has been done before. Like, you know, so I think that's more of a callback than anything. Like, yeah. you know, that it just staying tr- true to the history than anything. And also these character designs for, uh, what is your favorite of these character designs? The horseman, the assistants, and the, I love the fish lady. The like attendant fish lady who's like, that's Oops. the way it is. That's how it should be. I just think that she's a really Here's cool design. Again. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah, we're gonna we're wait, wait for him to come back and then we're restart almost, again. We're almost done. Okay, my, it could be my computer getting slow now, which is <laughs> why we're on. lightning round. Uh-oh. You're not back yet. Am shake, back? shake. Am I back? I'm going to pause and, and unpause the recording. Hold on, yeah. hold on. Yeah. Okay. All right, so can you still hear me? Yes. Okay. So let's start. Okay. Again. So um, one of the things I really loved in this issue was just the character designs. Of, there's all these new things, the horsemen, the um, attendants to Otherworld. I love the fish lady attendant. She just was amazing. Did any other designs like really stick out to you? It was like, wow. Well, I, I really liked the idea that, you know, the, some of the older... Yes. Oh, shoot. Uh, no, I was just going to say that I really liked the idea that um, like some of the characters are more Egyptian themed. Like, you know, older Egyptian mm-hmm. themed, which is kind of 
falls in line with the apocalypse, um, you know, origin and all of that. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. And then it kind of me was thinking, I'm like, is Black Panther going to be involved sometime? But mm. <laughs> you know, you never know. And. Uh... So then the next thing I would say is, who was the MVP character-wise? Like, who won the day, sticks out to you, is like, this was the best of the issue for me? Tyler? Monet? Freya? Monet. So far. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. It's Monet. I mean, she doesn't have the most to do here, but she just has so many memorable comedic moments and also memorable tough moments that I... And she just stands at... You can tell Hickman loves her. Yeah. And Teeny Howard's amount of polish on the rest of... Teeny Howard, by the way, I'm a huge, huge fan. If you've never read Ether Knots, which is one of her indie series with Nick Robles, who's the, if you do Twitter, Nick Robles is the guy who draws the really impossibly hot night crawlers constantly that are like semi-X-rated. Um, Nick Robles and Teeny Howard has this series called Ether Knots that's amazing. Um, all right, so we talked about favorite designs. We talked about favorite characters. Um, kind of just final wrap-up. So good, bad... What's our final call on this issue, Freya? Very difficult to say, but so far, really excited to see where this goes. Okay, Tyler. Yeah, I'm happy to see a straight up crossover. So I'm 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 excited to see see where this goes, especially with like the covers that has been revealed for issues that came after the crossover. It kind of hints at certain things that's going to happen, so I kind of enjoy it. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. For me, you know, I go in with a lot of trepidation because I, I've been burnt by big Hickman stories before. But I think Teeny Howard's, um, like true North feeling of what characters should sound like really rewarded us here, and I'm just so interested to see how the other writers deal with this. I can't wait to see what Leah Williams does in a crossover that we get to talk about next week. I'm like deliriously excited. I can't wait to see what Jerry Duggan does. I can't wait to see what all of these writers do with this yeah. opportunity. So to me, that's the most important and the most exciting part. Like Hicksman is only writing so many issues of this. We have a lot of other voices, and that to yeah. me is what's exciting about it being a direct crossover. Definitely. So look, we're going to try to be back every, we're not going to do an episode per issue, but we're going to try to talk to you every week, our availability and our internet allowing about this. So um, if you have other things you want us to talk about, if you have continuity things that we missed because we don't have our beloved Zach back here from the mm -hmm. Resurrection Protocols, they're still trying to crack that egg, uh, yeah. leave a comment below and we will be back to talk more X of Swords with you sometime around this time next week. So thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to subscribe so you know when we've got more. Our chat about X of Swords. Goodbye, everybody, and thank you so much for joining me, Tyler and Freya. Bye. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Bye.